The Bible says this about life. It says it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. That means it's the little seemingly inconsequential things that get into the vineyard of God in our life, what God is trying to do in our life, our fruitfulness, and these little inconsequential issues spoil the vineyard. And so it's not the big things that affect us most. It's the army of little things that affect us most. Now, there is a vineyard of prayer. It's the little foxes that spoil the prayer vineyard. Now, today, I'm going to point out some things out of the Word of God that we've got to remember when we go to the place of prayer. Now, how many of you uh, can say, my prayer life has experienced an uptick since we've been in this series? Amen? Come on, let me see your hands again. Give the Lord a wave offer. How many see? Look at all those people, your prayer life. How many of you have had the Lord wake you up and say, pray? How many of you have had the Lord say, uh-oh, here I go, turn off that TV and go pray? Amen? Oh, let me see the hands. Come on, some of you are blushing. There we go. How many of you have had the Lord say, put that iPad down, that iPhone down, that technical stuff down and go pray? Well, that's good, because if you can break the power of an iPhone, we're moving devils here. Did you, did you notice on the video there, the brontosaurus walking across our parking lot? Did you notice how they did that? And I, I, if you didn't notice, well, I can't help you. They can't roll it again. But they superimposed brontosauruses walking across the parking lot out here. And I thought, we have brought some monsters down to be where we are. Amen? All right. Amen. So today I want to talk to you about one of the little foxes that gets in the vineyard, and that is what you think about God. What you think about God. Now, let's read Hebrews eleven six. It's one verse, and it's one of my favorite verses on prayer and faith. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, that is a powerful uh, verse right there. So I'm going to spring from that. I want to just talk to you real simply today about some of those little foxes that get in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the word of God. We thank you, Lord, that it never returns to you void, but it always does what you send it forth to accomplish. And, Lord, we're asking you right now to give us ears to hear. Lord, we invite the Holy Spirit, who's already here, to open our understanding. Teach us. And give us, give us insight into this whole thing on prayer. And, Lord, if there's any little foxes spoiling the vineyard in our life, show them to us, Lord. And I thank you for removing those little foxes today as the word of God scatters them. In the name of Jesus. Now, you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me. I receive the word of God. Change my prayer life. Transform my prayer life. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God heard that prayer. Amen. All right. Now, is my volume good out there? You hit, don't you love the sound today? We've got a really good expert back here working on the sound. You don't want me pointing him out, but we're, we're trying to get the sound right, and we're... we're, we're so glad that you've been patient with us. Now, I want to show you how your prayer life 
is directly connected to what you believe about God. It matters what you and I believe about God. And I'm going to show you today from this verse and a couple of other verses that that what you believe about God is going to give you a great prayer life or a weakened prayer life. I want you to notice how the writer connects praying faith to something that we must believe about God. Watch the verse carefully. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, that's prayer. So it's a prayer verse. He who comes to God, that's prayer. When we come to God to petition him, intercede, ask him to help us, when we come to God, that's prayer. He that comes to God must, everybody say must, must believe something. We must believe something. What must we believe? That he is, well, we all know he is. I hope there's no hardcore atheists here. If there are, may you be touched today by the truth of the word of God. Or any atheist watching, love you in the Lord, hang on, because listen to the word of God. You've got to first believe that he is, all right? Well, that's easy for most of us. We know that he's there. But then something else, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, notice he says, he that comes to God must. It's not optional. It's not something we go pray about. But we must believe some things about God. So it must be that what we believe about God directly affects our prayer life. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. Amen. In other words, what we believe about God is what inspires our faith. And what inspires our faith determines how big we pray, how much we dare to pray for, based on how we view God. If I don't believe he's a prayer-answering God, I'm not going to pray. If I believe he's a mean God, I'm not going to approach him. If I believe, as we sang today, that he's a good, good God, a good, good father, and that he has power to answer my prayers, then, then, then brother, I'm going to be in prayer. See, it matters what we believe about God. If I know that he's a rewarder when I'm diligently seeking him, then it's incentive for me to pray and seek his face. So I've got to believe, and and, and folks, I can't tell you how many things in our culture, how many teachers, false teachers, false prophets, false communicators are trying to teach us what to believe about God. New age teachers, mystics, People who write these, these books that are on all the talk shows, they, they, they tell us things about God. It's very important that what you believe about God comes from God's book. You, you got to get it from God's book. What you believe about God has got to come from God's book because God gave us 66 books filled with him telling us what he's like, things we would never know if he didn't tell us. We would never know he's Jehovah Shalom, my peace, if he didn't tell me. We'd never know he was Jehovah Rophi, my healer, if he didn't tell me. We'd never know that he was Jehovah Sidkenu, my righteousness, if, if he didn't tell me. We'd never know he was our provider if he didn't tell us. The Bible is God giving us information we would never have on our own about him. He, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you what you can expect. Let me tell you the way I want you to conceptualize me and visualize me and picture me. 
So let me explain myself to you. Let me give you revelation. Remember last time we talked about the Lord's Prayer. And when Jesus was teaching us how to pray, what's the first thing he dealt with? The very first thing he taught us was how to view the God we're praying to. How to view him. That's the first thing Jesus teaches us in the Lord's Prayer. His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, all right, you want to know how to pray? Here's the first thing. Let me tell you how to picture the God you're praying to. He's your father. He's your daddy. He cares about you. He's your heavenly father. He's your father in heaven. And so immediately Jesus focuses our picture, our our image of what we are to believe about the God we're praying to. If you want to have really good prayer, then first picture him as a giving, loving, caring, compassionate father. Amen. If your God is a small God, you're going to pray small prayers. The bigger your God is, the bigger your prayers will be. How big are your prayers? If your God is a loving God, you're going to feel accepted and welcome when you go to the place of prayer. But if your picture of God is of a reserved, angry God, you're going to feel intimidated and you're not going to pray much. If your God is a forgiving God, you're going to go to him for forgiveness. Makes sense. But if your God is stern and judgmental and always watching for you to make a mistake, you won't have much motivation to seek his forgiveness. Because that's not how you're picturing him. How eager are you going to be to go to an uh, earthly father who's always mad at you, always judging you, always coming down on you? How eager are you going to want to be with that? Are are you going to, how much time and trouble are you going to take to be with that father? How many times are you going to approach him? No, no, he's going to drive you away. But if your earthly father is kind, loving, forgiving, embracing, understanding, patient, accepting, and you know he loves you just like you are. You want to be around him all the time. When we follow Jesus through the Gospels, we see that he was always about revealing to his disciples who he really was. And the more they learned, folks, watch this, the more they prayed for bigger things. The way you see your God is going to directly affect how you pray. For instance, one day Jesus commanded them to get into a boat, one of my favorite stories, and cross over the lake to go the other side. And you know the story. As they cross, Jesus fell asleep in the helm of the, of the boat. And all of a sudden, the Bible says a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water. The boat was filling up with water. It was about to capsize. And they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and they awoke him and said, Master, Master, we are perishing. Another gospel, one of the gospels says, don't you care that we're perishing? Now, because he was God, let's be honest, Jesus knew this storm was going to come before they ever launched the boat. Come on. Jesus is never surprised by anything because he was God. That means being God, he knew the end from the beginning. See, when I prayed for today, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I know that you're already on the other side of all three services. You're already at the end of my day tomorrow. I'm just asking you to bless what you already know is going to happen. I'm asking you to be there, but he's already on the other side. You know what? God is already on the other side of your tomorrow. And he's preparing a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He's setting the stage 
He's setting up a blessing. He's setting up guidance, setting up open doors. He's already on the other side. He is, he is never stuck in the now. He's back there, he's here now, and he's up ahead all at the same time. So, so Jesus knew. Jesus knew when he said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. He knew as soon as they got out in the middle of that lake, this storm was going to hit. He said, then why, Pastor Jeff, would he tell him to get in it? Because he wanted a classroom where he could provide a teachable moment. The Bible says, as the storm was hitting and the waves were rolling into the boat and it was filling up with water and the disciples were panicking, Jesus stands up and rubs his eyes. And it says, then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, where's your faith? They're all sitting there with 50 cent pieces for eyeballs. They're going, wait a minute. He just stood up and rebuked the wind and the waves and they, and they got still. Now, now he says, where is your faith? Now notice what Jesus was focused on. He wasn't focused on the storm. He wasn't focused on the water-filled boat. He was not focused on the need to reach the other side. What was he focused on? He was focused on their faith. Where was your faith? Where was your faith? That was the purpose for the whole journey. Where was your faith? Jesus intended in this journey across the lake to stretch their faith. See, some of you, you're going from one side of the lake to the other right now, and you're in the middle of your obedience, and there is a great storm. And what does Jesus care about in the storm that is hitting your life right now? He's watching your faith. He, he wants to stretch your faith. How did he go about stretching their faith? Listen, by revealing who he was. Because up to now, he's a miracle worker. They're all enthralled with him. He's talking like no man ever taught, preaching like no man ever preached. But wait a minute. He just told the wind to stop blowing, and it stopped. He just told the waves to stop rolling, and they stopped. He just made a storm go away at his word. Wait a minute. And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Now, I submit to you that their question, who can this be, is exactly what he intended for them to ask. Because now he's taking their knowledge of him from here to here. They're understanding who it is they're walking with. He's not just an inspirational teacher tiptoeing through the religious tulips, saying nice things to people and healing some folks. He's God. The only answer to the question, who can this be, is he is God. Are you with me? He is God. Who can this be? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. There's only one person that can do that. God wrapped in skin. God wrapped in flesh. God come down to earth visiting us in the form of a man, God, God, man. Their knowledge of him went up. Amen? He stretched their understanding of who he was so that their faith and prayer life would also be stretched. The bigger Jesus was, the more their faith grew. And the more their faith grew, the bigger their prayers became. Amen? How big is your Jesus? My Jesus is God. 
My Jesus speaks and it happens. My Jesus has power over every devil. My Jesus is going to be the one who ends time as we know it. My Jesus is going to come back. My Jesus. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. My Jesus was God the Son. Come on, everybody. How big is your Jesus? See, when you go into prayer, what do you believe about him? How big is your God? What is your God like when you go into the place of prayer? How do you view him? Because we all have an image of God when we get down to pray. We all have an image. We all have a picture. We all have an understanding of who we're praying to. How do you picture him when you go to the place of prayer? What is the image of him you have in your mind? What are your beliefs about him? What are your convictions about him? As you begin to petition him, Lord, I need a job. Lord, I need a healing. Lord, I need your provision. Lord, I need this. I need that. I'm asking you to this. I'm asking you to that. There's somebody, Lord, in my life that I'm deeply burdened for, my spouse, my child. Lord, are you able to touch them? Lord, Lord, I'm asking you, look, you're not going to pray beyond what you believe about him. Now, let me give you three things we must believe about him to enjoy a fruitful and growing prayer life. Let me give you three simple things we've got to believe about him. Are you ready? Everybody say with me, I'm ready. All right, here we go. First, we've got to believe. Now, this is simple stuff, but remember, it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. It's the little things that get into our prayer life and and derail it or sabotage it or dilute it or water it down. So watch this now. We've got to believe when we pray, he cares. He cares. Do you believe God genuinely cares about you and the things that are affecting you? See, sometimes I think we go to God in prayer and we go, you know, he's the great, big, almighty, universal creator, God, and and, and so therefore he can't be concerned about the little things I'm bringing to him right now. Surely not, because he's busy flinging stars into space. he's, He's busy doing this, that, and the other with the great heroes of the faith. He doesn't care about my little stuff, but let me read to you how much God cares. I want you to say with me, God cares. Now, that's a fox that we've got to get out of our, if it's, if it's a doubt that he cares, we've got to get it out of there and don't let it spoil the prayer vineyard. Listen to how much he cares. Psalms 40 verse 5 says, the number of your thoughts, this is David, the number of your thoughts towards me can't even be counted. You think about me so much and so often, you can't even count the number of thoughts you're thinking about me. You say, well, he's talking about the great King David. No, he's not, because listen to the next verse. I want to read Psalms 40, verse 17. I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. I'm a nobody. I don't have a bunch of money. I don't have any status. I'm just out here doing my best to pay the bills and and make a way and take care of my kids and take care of the the things that are, are in my life, just making life work. And yet he says, but he thinks upon me. He's thinking upon me. He's thinking, think about it. God is thinking about you. What's that song? You were on his mind. You were on his mind. Not just you were, but you are on his mind. If you can get up and put your mind on God, don't you know that God can put his vast, infinite mind on you? Say, I'm on his mind. He, 
you're on his mind. You say, but Jeff, I look in the mirror and I'm not gifted, I'm not pretty, I'm not handsome, I don't have a bunch of money, I feel like nobody and a lot of people don't even like me. But let me tell you, he likes you, he loves you, and you're on his mind. You're on his mind. Can we just lift our hands and say, Lord, thank you that I'm on your mind. I want you to know that that's true. Can we give him a hand of praise today? Come on. You're on his mind. Jesus took incredible pains to repeatedly reveal to us how much God truly cares. Let me just read some verses to you. Turning to the disciples, he said, don't worry whether you have enough food to eat or clothes to wear, for the life consists of far more than food and clothes. And then he turns their eyes onto nature. He's going to turn their eyes onto nature with two examples. He said, I want you to look at the ravens. Now, in Texas, we would say sparrows. Look at the sparrows. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't have barns to store away their food, and yet they get along all right, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Now, folks, here's his thought. If God feeds birds that Jesus didn't die for, will he not feed his children who he did die for? Come on, everybody. He cares. You're on his mind. Everything you're going through is on his mind. The, the ways that people have hurt you are on his mind. He sees everything that comes into your life. He knows everything that goes down in your life. He knows exactly the struggles you're dealing with, the devils you're fighting, the people that are against you, the, the, the difficulty you're having making it. He knows he's got you on his mind. Then he turns them to another sight in nature. Look at the lilies. They don't toil or spin. And yet Solomon in all of his glory was not robed as well as they are. And if God provides clothing for the flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, don't you suppose he will provide clothing for you, you doubters? He cares. You're on his mind. You know, to, uh, yesterday I was walking by, I talk about my dogs a lot, I love my dogs, but I was walking by uh, where their bowls are and I noticed that their water was low. So I grabbed that thing, I filled it up with water, I put it back down. They didn't stop and think, thank you, Jeff. They didn't lift their hands and say, hallelujah, thank you for providing for me. But here's the deal. I, being imperfect, noticed that they had a need. And without them even having to ask me, I took care of their need. And I'm imperfect, and I have all kinds of flaws. Our Heavenly Father is perfect, and he sees when your water bowl is low. He sees it. And he provides for you. Amen. And Jesus went even further to make the point of how much God cares. I love this out of the Living Bible. All of mankind scratches for its daily bread. But your heavenly Father knows your needs. He will always give you all you need from day to day if you will make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father, your Father. Notice how he's always telling us about our Father. It gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So say, God cares. God cares. Now, the second thing we've got to be careful of, so, so if, if that little something gets in your head, that suggestion from the devil that God doesn't care, you need to rebuke it because God does care. Never let that die. 
Now, if God cares, then he also hears. He hears. I was talking to a young lady this week who had been seeing somebody. She's single. She's been seeing somebody. She said, I think I'm going to break it off. And I said, really? How come? She said, because he doesn't listen to me. He, he doesn't listen to me. And, and I said, really? And she said, yeah, he doesn't listen to me. I'll be telling him something that's important to me, and he doesn't listen. And so if he doesn't listen now, after I do, you think he's going to listen then? So she said, so I think I'm going to call it off because it matters. It matters when we're talking to somebody. If they really care, they listen. Now, God cares. And since God cares, God listens. He listens. You're not going to have to break up with God for not listening. God listens. Amen? He hears. Everybody say with me, he hears. Now, John, I want you to notice, we're going now to John, 1 John 5, 14. John tells us that a key component of effective prayer is knowing God hears you. Look at it. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, what's the next three words? He he hears us. And if we know what everybody, that he hears us, whatever we ask, now watch this, we know we have what we ask of him. So one no leads to another no. If I know he hears me, I know I've got it. If I know he hears me. So knowing that he hears you brings the confidence that he'll give you what you ask for. How, How often we go to prayers, happened to me a million times, and the devil whispers in your ear, God's not listening. God's not listening. You don't feel anything. You don't feel any big presence in the room. Seems like he's a million miles away or like the heavens are brass. And just based on feeling and the way we feel kind of flat sometimes when we go into the place of prayer, based on that, the devil whispers, well, he's not really even listening. It's that quiet whisper of a lie that lets the air out of the tire of your faith. When you, when you think, now you may not consciously start dwelling on it and thinking he's not listening to me, but it's a, a suggestion in the back of your head that the devil puts there. Why pray? Because he's not listening. He's not listening. This prayer isn't working. This, your praying is not doing anything. If God is really listening, why didn't he answer that other prayer? The bottom line lie of the devil is that God doesn't care about the things you care about. And if he doesn't care, then he's not listening because people that care listen. People that don't care don't listen. See, this is a little fox that spoils the vineyard when we think God's not listening. And if the devil can convince you that God's not listening, that you're not being heard, that your prayer is not important in heaven, if he can convince you of that, he can kill your prayer life. It's a little fox that spoils the vineyard. Everybody hearing me today? Little fox that spoils the vineyard. We, we think of the big things. But here's little things that get in there like, like wedges, like sticks in a spoke. And it stops the, the, the progress of that bicycle when a stick gets in the spoke. The Bible says that no matter how you feel, God is listening. God is listening. Listen to what David or Peter wrote. For the Lord is watching his children listening to their prayers. Are you a child of God today? 
Come on, everybody, are you a child? Raise your hand if you're a child of God. Then hear what the Bible said to me. The Bible says, then he's listening to your prayers. Listen to what David wrote. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. His ears are open. When you start praying, here's what God does in heaven. He doesn't do this. He does this. Do you believe that? Come on, do you really believe that? You say, well, Jeff, does that work when when I'm I'm praying, you know, that I need $50? See, that's big to you, and if it's big to you, it's big to God. So when you say, Lord, I just need $50 to pay this bill, he's... Amen. The eyes of the Lord are watching over you. His ears are open to your cries for help. Psalms 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and, listen, heard my cry, heard me. And when he heard me, he brought me up out of a horrible pit. He brought me out of the quicksand of life. He set my feet upon a rock. He established my goings with stability. And he put a new song in my mouth. Even praise to our God. And and what started the whole thing? I cried unto him. And he heard my cry. He heard me. He heard me. Everybody say, he hears me. John the Revelator was shown an incredible vision. He, he saw heaven. And he saw four living beings and the 24 elders fall down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. And they held golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. I want you to catch this now. That's telling us that your prayers are so precious to God. He reserves them in heaven in golden bowls. And they are like sweet-smelling incense to him. Your prayers. So God cares and God listens every time. And then the last thing we got to believe is he answers. He cares. He listens. And he answers. If we're going to have a fruitful, growing prayer life, we must believe that he not only listens, but he answers. John writes, we know that we have. Everybody say, we have. Now, that means the prayer has been answered. We know. If we know that he listens, then we know that we have what we asked of him. And catch this, the knowing that you have it because you know that he listens, is not dependent on timing or circumstances. Because your timing is almost never God's. And circumstances may completely tell you the opposite of what you're praying for. But that doesn't matter to the knowing that's inside of you. If you know that he heard you because you prayed according to the will of God, then you know you have. You know you have. What you have asked from him. It's a deep, settled confidence that God cannot lie. He's heard my prayer, and how and when he works it out is his business. But I know I have it. Abraham's faith, I'm going to close with this, illustrates this. When he was waiting for God's promise of a son, God promised him when he was 75 years old, you're going to have a son. Sarah was 65 years old. That ain't childbearing years. 
He's 75. She's 65. God said, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. God gave him that promise. So Abraham hung on to it and Abraham prayed for it. Abraham besought God for it. Abraham asked God for it. Abraham believed God. Now I want you to notice what he, what he did. When waiting for God's promise of a son, it says, even when there was no reason for hope, nothing circumstantially that gave him any reason to hope. He looked at his body, it's dead. He looked at Sarah's body, old and dead as far as reproductive potential. But Abraham kept hoping, and Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about 100 years of age, now this is 25 years later, he's still believing God. So notice timing wasn't the issue. He knew for 25 years it was going to happen. Timing wasn't the issue. Timing didn't affect what he knew. He figured his body was as good as dead. Notice he didn't lie to himself. He didn't deny reality. He didn't say, I'm not old, like some people would say today. Well, I'm not sick. (laughs) Excuse me. The Bible never teaches us to deny reality. That's Christian science. He figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb, but he never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger Now listen to what's next. He was fully convinced. There's the knowing that John's talking about. If we know he heard us, we know we have. We know we have. We know we have. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. Abraham had that knowing that John talks about, that God would answer his prayer, and he never wavered. And, of course, one day when he's 100 and Sarah's 90, she says, Honey, I've got big news. I'm pregnant. And nine months later, the cry of a child split the night from that tent, and God answered their prayer and their faith. And that's because Abraham knew. Abraham knew. He heard me, and he answers. He he cares, he hears, and he answers. And the answer came, not in his timing. The answer came, not in his circumstances, but the answer came. Come on, everybody. Come on. And we're no different because he's the father of our faith. That's the way all things take place in kingdom life. I know that he cares. Can we stand together? Say with me, I know he cares. Don't let the devil tell you otherwise. Say, I know he listens because the Bible says so. And I know he answers. So can we lift our hands and say, thank you, Lord. You care. You hear. You answer. When I pray, Lord, thank you for this encouraging word regarding prayer. Thank you, Lord, for what your Bible tells us about prayer and what we can depend on. And Lord, we expect good now. We come to you with our prayer. Now, how many of you can say, with your, with your hands raised, your eyes closed, just say, Jeff, uh, this spoke to me because that little fox, that thought, that little thought, that suggestion in the back of my head was that God didn't care or he wasn't really listening to me, or he wasn't answering. He didn't answer. He doesn't answer. This helped to clear the fog out of my mind and rebuke and chase away that lie. Can you raise your hand and just say, it spoke to me today. Amen. Amen, amen. Many of you, many of you. Now I want to pray for you as a church body again. I want you to know it's my heart that God increases our prayer life. I'm preaching these messages. Go ahead and look at me for a minute. I'm preaching these messages. 
I'm going to preach on prayer until something sparks in this congregation. And starting with the speaker, listen, I am endeavoring to obey the Spirit to get my prayer life on another level. I know He wants me to. And there have been times I've struggled in prayer, haven't felt like praying. And just like I preached today, there were times I got on my knees and started to pray. It was just, it was just flat. And, and I struggled to get into prayer. But, but I'm finding that the more I just obey those initial promptings of the Spirit and get into that prayer room when I sense that nudge, or just by discipline, put myself in the prayer room, that the Holy Ghost is taking over. And I'm having a whole new... Listen, last night my prayer time was so sweet so powerful. I've started praying the Word. I've just started praying the Word. Now, it wasn't all of my prayer, but I have been so honed in on, I'll go ahead and tell you, Psalms 80, where three times David says, revive us, revive us, revive us. Visit this vine and the vineyard you planted and the branch you made strong for yourself. I'm that vine I'm praying for and the vineyard is the ministry God's given me. You're the vineyard. I say, Lord, visit the vineyard. Visit the vine and visit the vineyard. Visit this house. Visit this house. man, when I start praying that, I'm telling you, I have to stand up. I have to stand up because the Holy Ghost is moving on me and I'm praying, Lord, visit this vine and visit the vineyard and and, and strengthen the branch you have made strong for yourself. Lord, visit us. I don't want to just have church. I don't want to just play church. I don't want my whole life to be spent on just going back and forth to church if there's no move of God. I want God to visit this vineyard with a mighty touch. And the only way that's going to happen is if our prayer life escalates. Next week, next Sunday night, um, the third, all the intercessors who have put their names in, we're meeting together up here at 5.30. And and we're going to share a vision and we're going to get down. We're going to cry out to God. Just the intercessors. How many now do we have? 90? 80-something, up, way up in the upper 80s, almost 90 people crying out to God, crying out to God. How many of you are sick and tired of the same old, same old, and you want to see a move of God? Come on, a move of the Spirit, God to move in a fresh way. And you want your own life revived. Can I see your hand? You want your own life revived. Well, I want you to buckle your seatbelt because it's coming. We're going to see it together going to see it together. Amen? Because God answers prayer. Amen. Now, tonight is life groups. I'm going to ask the life group leaders to come down. Would you life group leaders? Speaking of prayer, I want the life group leaders that are in here today to come down. And I'm so thrilled to announce to you that this weekend, we have three brand new life groups have already, they met on Saturday night. They met, how many met last night? One? One new group met last night and two more meet today. One of them is a fully Spanish-speaking life group. 
So, uh, glory adios. That's all I know. But isn't that good? A whole a Spanish-speaking life group. And when does that meet? Did that meet last night? That's today. That's tonight. Uh, so we have three new ones that are the result of the last class we had. That's why I want to encourage you. I'm believing God that our life group ministry is going to double this year. And, and so three new groups came out of the last class. And that's so encouraging to me. And so if, if, if you're interested, if you're even open to being a life group leader, we're believing God to raise up new life group leaders. And the training begins next week, March 3rd at the noon service and go go to that come to the second service then just go up there for the noon oh it's at the nine o'clock well what does it say there noon we have to change it so it's wrong all right we'll change it (sighs) nine o'clock is the class so pray about it amen how many of you are glad you came to church today amen Well, this Thursday, 27 of us are going to load up in a bus and head to New Orleans for Mardi Gras. Yeah. It's part of the the Reach Bible College and Seminary here at Turning Point Church. It's part of our program to go out there and do a big outreach and just bring Jesus into the middle of Mardi Gras. Of course, we did our our lunch fundraiser a couple weeks ago. During that, a very generous member came to us and donated two Toby Mac um, concert tickets for March 15th for us to raffle off. So we are doing a raffle. If how many how many people like Toby Mac? Yeah. So these are these are $90 tickets a piece. So uh two you get two of them. We're raffling them off $20 for the raffle tickets here in the North Lobby right there by Pastor Bob to go to see Toby Mac on the 15th. So we're just so blessed by such a generous church. And I'm telling you, we're going to take Jesus to Mardi Gras. Amen. Now, raffle is not bingo. We're not doing church bingo. It's a raffle. I don't know. When he said that, I was thinking, because I've always gotten a kick out of these church bingo things. If you're having church bingo, you can know the Holy Spirit has departed. Amen. If you're doing church bingo. If the church has gotten down to that, then I think God is down the street. Amen. Anyway, anyway, um, I want to pray over these life group leaders. I so appreciate them. And let's put a hand up towards the life groups tonight um, who are going to be meeting all over Fort Worth and Burleson. And let's just pray for them. Father, we just thank you for these life leaders. And I pray your blessing on them. I pray that tonight you would increase, you would increase this ministry. Increase this ministry, Lord. Let many new people come. And Lord... Uh, partake of the life group ministry. Thank you, Lord, for growing it in this church. Thank you, Lord, for turning a congregation into a family. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So say with me again, he cares, he hears, he answers. Those are important foundational pegs on the stool of prayer, the prayer stool. Our three legs. He cares. He hears. He answers. Amen? So this week, let me challenge you before I let you go. I challenge you. Take 10 minutes every day. Just 10 minutes. If you pray more than that, God bless you. But many of us, many of our congregation is starting out, haven't 
been strong in prayer, take 10 minutes and say, I can pray, I can pray for 10 minutes on he cares, he hears, and he answers. And pray for something. Pray for something. And I predict before the week is even out, you're going to shoot past 10 minutes. Just give God 10 minutes. See what he does with it. Amen? They gave Jesus five loaves and two fishes and it turned, fed 5,000. Give him 10 minutes. See what he expands it to. Amen? All right. You're glad you came to church one more time. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.